Welcome to Beneath the Willow Tree, a podcast dedicated to the pursuit of truth through wonder with me, Sophie Burkhardt. In my last semester of undergrad, I took a course in Chinese philosophy, and for our final paper, I critiqued the Taoist view of death. I quickly realized that I had taken a little too much on my hands, for Taoism is a beautiful and complex philosophy and to attempt to dismantle its approach to death inevitably leads to an attempt to dismantle its entire structure. Needless to say, my professor was very gracious with me as I struggled to confine myself to just one point. After all, I certainly couldn't take on an entire philosophical system in a single paper that was less than 2,000 words. But nevertheless, I spent countless hours poring over Lao Tzu's Tao Te Ching and Zhuangzi's writings, If I was going to critique such brilliant philosophers, I wanted to make sure I understood, to the best of my ability at least, what they were really saying. Lao Tzu and Zhuangzi, like every other human, were both confronted with death and suffering, and they had a good deal to say about how humans ought to deal with death. I'll do my best here to summarize their thoughts, but know that I'm leaving a good deal out. My non-trimmed-down version of my paper was 3,000 words, and that still barely scratched the surface. A true human, according to Taoism, is one who follows the way. To quote my paper, such people are, to quote Lao Tzu, (laughs) supple and weak. Just as a tree's branches sway in the wind, they follow the way with ease. Without attempting to control their own lives, they are brought along wherever the way may lead. There's so much to unpack there, but we'll leave it as is. Zhuangzi has a similar understanding of following the way, and his dictum to fulfill one's fate hangs on perhaps his most foundational concept, transformation. To explain this, I'll quote my paper at length. According to Zhuangzi, heaven and earth, and everything in them, are constantly transforming. Zhuangzi says, quote, The great clump burdens me with a physical form, labors me with life, eases me with old age, rests me with death, end quote. Just as he considers his life good, so too does he consider death good, because it is all part of the great transformation of things. Furthermore, the human form is simply something stumbled into. The sage recognizes the transformation of all things and sees himself within the entire world, instead of limited to only the human form. Ultimately, Zhuangzi says that he views, quote, heaven and earth as a great furnace and the process of creation transformation as a great blacksmith, end quote. If he were to insist on remaining in human form forever, he would be considered an inauspicious or not good thing. The response of seeing the world this way is to be content with all transformation. The genuine human neither delights in life nor fears death. Zhuangzi says that Lao Tzu found contentment in both his time and place, and therefore encountered neither joy nor sorrow. Thus, mourning him with sorrow and weeping wouldn't be not only unsought for by Lao Tzu, but would in fact be fleeing from the mandate of heaven itself, which heaven is just sort of like fate. Likewise, when Zhuangzi's wife dies, he plays music and sings instead of weeping. He says that his wife has participated in the, quote, making of the spring and the autumn, end quote. There was a time when there was no life or energy to be called his wife. Then there came energy, then a physical form, life, and then death. One who mourns is one who does not understand fate and the constant transformation of all things. Phew, that's a lot. 
So why did I go into such detail about Zhuangzi's views on transformation? Besides, of course, the fact that I just love Chinese philosophy. Well, every comprehensive worldview needs an answer to suffering and death. Every person needs an answer, some sort of answer, to suffering and death. They are fundamental human experiences, and they routinely make or break our acceptance of a worldview. So many people reject Christianity because they cannot comprehend how a good God would allow people to suffer evil. And it's a really hard question. We could answer it the way the Taoists do. They say that all of life is just one transformation after another. There is nothing to mourn over. And in fact, if Zhuangzi is right that everything is just a part of constant transformation, then he's right too that there really is nothing to mourn over. There is nothing that makes being a human special. It's just one shell we carry for now until we transform into the next thing. But to me at least, that doesn't satisfy human experience. Or that was my paper's argument at least. I'm not sure how well I really did critique such a master. But even Zhuangzi experienced grief at his wife's death. And then he reminded himself of the great transformation and somehow moved past sorrow. If only people would understand the great transformation, he claims, then we would no longer experience grief and sorrow. There would be no room for it. I don't know. Zhuangzi was an incredibly intelligent and wise man. But this response just seems to cheapen sorrow. It's like when Christians say, Oh, we're not really sad because, you know, she's in heaven with Jesus now. Woo! But Jesus wept. He wept when he knew that Lazarus would rise the very same day. It is human that we weep when we experience brokenness. To ignore that, to say that heaven or transformation simply makes it all go away, is to deny the truth. Suffering is real. And none of us would argue that. None of us can really argue against that. We've all experienced it. It is really just our answer to that suffering which none of us can agree upon. Perhaps it's because suffering is so intensely personal. To attempt to provide a solution to it with only a logical syllogism feels harsh and out of touch. Maybe even a bit inhuman at times. But I think that attempting to provide a solution to suffering is perhaps the beginning of many of our problems. And I think that maybe what we really need is a perspective shift. What if, instead of trying to boil down our world into logical syllogisms or one-sentence questions and answers, we saw it instead as a rich and complex story? Stories need suffering. The end of every good story is better than its beginning, and that's partially because the characters have grown through their suffering. Harry Potter, Frodo, Aragorn, Odysseus, Aeneid, Esther, countless other heroes throughout the ages and across cultures are made better because they suffer. They are better, stronger, more full people at the end of their stories than at the beginning. And without suffering, whether it's the simple lack of honey for poo, or the false accusations made against Dmitry Karamazov, there is very little story to tell. Do we, as readers, rejoice in the suffering that we see our beloved characters walk through? No. So do we rage and scream at the injustice of the cruel author who told their story? Again, no. 
we as readers are outside of the story. And so we see the purpose of their suffering. We see where it leads them. We see the crucial growth that it brings. We see it sharpen characters and turn them into the best versions of themselves. And we rejoice at the ending because at last, the suffering, as important as it may have been, has met its end. So, what if we began to see our world that way just a little more? I believe that each of our lives is a mini-story woven into the grand epic of the universe. And there is suffering on a small scale and on a grand scale. If I attempt to logic my way out of suffering, and I've attempted this quite a bit, I get all muddled and stuck. But when I remember that God is an author, I have a bit more clarity. It's not like I completely understand it all, but I have more clarity. It's not as if God revels in our suffering. I mean, I can think of few authors who truly love their characters that would not weep at the suffering they must endure. But they must indeed endure it. Because there is something just better about it. We come out better. I come out better when I have suffered. And it is about even more than growth. And my eyes are fixed on a future where suffering is put to death. The hope that I have now in expectation of that and the joy that I will feel on that day far surpasses anything I could have ever experienced had I never known what it meant to suffer. It is just like the princess in George MacDonald's The Light Princess. But on the larger scale, it becomes even more exciting. Our author stepped into the story. He became a part of the suffering. He endured the suffering and he defeated it. But before he defeated it, he wept and bled. Our God chose not to be a knight in shining armor, but a king with a crown of thorns. Suffering was defeated by suffering. And even now, there is a time limit on all that reeks of death and pain. And so, we come to a bit of a circle. I believe all the best stories are you catastrophes. They dig into the darkness, pain, and suffering that we all as humans experience. But they never end there. They always end in hope, redemption, and victory. Though the night is dark, the morning always comes. These stories, I think, resonate so deeply with us because they reflect the truth of our world. But at the same time, when we read such stories, I believe we can understand the story of our own world better. We can comprehend more of the character of God, the author and redeemer. We can wrap our minds a bit more about our place in the grand story. And perhaps, while we cannot reason suffering away, we can embrace it. We can struggle through it. We can, above all, live and learn through it by talking to our author, by sharing every thought and feeling with him, and by trusting him and remembering all that he has already done. I have said so many words to get to this place, and yet I've barely said anything at all. This is, after all, just a cursory look at how story might transform our approach to suffering. I'll certainly dig more into it in the future, going through specific stories like at the back of the North Wind and, and seeing how they relate to our lives. But even now, there's something in my life, call it the thorn in my side, that has made me suffer the past few years like nothing else ever has. It's very much a God-appointed thing, but I cannot use sheer logic to say why God would allow it and why he won't take it away. I've yelled at him, I've wept to him, I've said I trust you too many times to count just because those were the only words left to me. But I know this. Because of this suffering, I have grown. 
I have learned and seen things these past couple of years that have transformed me fundamentally as a person. My relationship with my author would never have grown so deep, so intimate, or so honest if I had not encountered this pain. And too, I have hope in the midst of such suffering, because I know that joy awaits me at the end of it all. There is, in fact, joy even now. Seeing my life in this world as a story doesn't make the suffering easier, but I don't think that's the point. The point is that suffering is hard, but God walked through it, and he still does every single day, holding the hands of all who call upon his name. So, if you're at a loss in the midst of your suffering, read a fairy tale. Read at the back of the north wind. Then read a psalm, read a gospel, read the entire Bible from cover to cover, for there you shall find the greatest tale of redemption ever told. How great indeed that our suffering is not blown away or made light of but is redeemed and made into something beautiful. Mm -hmm.